The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. You know, I'm so, I'm so thankful that I do not have to earn eternal life. I think all of us recognize the fact that if we ever endeavored to earn eternal life, we would not get eternal life because the debt of our sin was far too much to pay. You know, when I preach the gospel to teenagers, many times I'll make the point, you know, if you think about it, you know, sometimes, many times people think that if they were to improve their life, if they were to um, try to do better at obeying God's law, that somehow God would look at them and say, well, you know what, hey, they're trying better, they're trying harder, surely that's got to count for something. But the fact of the matter is, and I think you all know this, even if we were to improve our lives to the point of perfection from this point forever forward into the future, the fact of the matter is, is we've already broken God's law. We're already guilty. We're already condemned. And our only hope was a substitution, the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm so thankful that Jesus thought me so valuable that he spent his son on me. I'm so thankful that God loved me. You know, as we gather here in church today, as we gather to worship the name of Jesus Christ, I think it's so important to never forget that the reason why we are here is not because we just want to be religious, right? Uh, the, the reason why we're not here is because we all just have this hankering to get dressed up on Sunday. That's definitely not the case. I hate getting dressed up, right? The reason why we're here is because we are worshiping God for his love and his sacrifice for us. The Lord of the entire universe is worthy to be worshiped. And uh, what I want to do here this morning is I want to preach a, a message uh, that I, I trust will help us because, you know, many times I think we understand that God has rescued us. We understand that God has saved us. And, and I think many times we can uh, rejoice in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that we have. But I think many times for, for all of us, there are these questions in my mind. Okay, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven. What does God want from me now? And what I want to do is I want to answer that question a little bit here this morning because you know what, all of us as we're gathered here, I think we recognize that God deserves our worship. And He does. Our, the sacrifice of praise coming from our lips is not just something nice to do. It's not something we do because we like to hear the harmonies. It's not something we do because it's just what we do. It's because God deserves it. But you know, even more than our worship, even more than our praise, I want to speak to you here this morning about something that God deserves. I believe even more than that. I want to preach to you here this morning a message entitled, What God Really Wants. If you could turn with me to the book of James and uh, chapter 4, please. James chapter 4. I want to focus in on a single verse here this morning. James chapter 4. And we're going to look at a single phrase and we're going to kind of use that as a springboard here this morning to take a look at this matter of what God really wants out of every single one of us here in this church service here today. James chapter 4, verse number 7, the Word of God, and I don't know, there's a real big hum up here. I'm not sure what's going on. Is there something I need to do back there, gentlemen, to help with that? No? Okay. 
All right, James chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, there's a lot of things that we can say that God wants out of our lives. We could say God wants our money, and that's true. Not that He needs it, but He you can say that God wants our praise, that is true. We can say that God wants our time, that's true. We can say that God wants our hearts, that is true. But if I can say this more than any other thing, I believe that what God wants out of you and what God wants out of me is He wants our total surrender to Him. This story's been told so many times from pulpits, I think it has somewhat been cliche, but there was a point in time when a young man named Dwight Lyman Moody was walking down the beach uh, with a man named Henry Varley. The two men were talking about their walk with God, they were talking about their ministry, they were talking about their future, and this man, Henry Varley, turned to Dwight Lyman Moody and said to this young man, the world has yet to see what God will do with and in and through a man who is fully consecrated to him. And I think, again, this has become so cliche these days. You probably know that what Dwight Lyman Moody said in his heart as they were walking, his heart burned within him. And this man said in his heart to God, I will be that man. I was reading a book this morning, a little tractate entitled Why God Used D.L. Moody, written by R.A. Torrey. This was after much of what you and I know happened in and through D.L. Moody's life. And it was interesting to me as I was reading that, he recounted this story. And one of the reasons that he said why God used D.L. Moody was because he was fully surrendered to God. And he made this statement. He said, you know what, people, they say this all the time. Uh, you know, the world has yet to see. But you know what he said? He said, I don't think the world has yet to see see it anymore because they've seen it in D.L. Moody. He was a man who understood what God wanted. God wanted him. God wanted all of him. D.L. Moody was determined that he was going to give God all of what he wanted. And here this morning as we've gathered together to worship the Lord can I submit to you that what God wants out of you today, tomorrow, this week, every single day of your life, what God wants out of you is he wants that full and total consecration. But you know, when it comes to this matter of consecration, which by the way, when I'm going to use the word consecration, I'm using that synonymously with the term surrender. Uh, technically, the idea of consecration would have the idea of taking something, cleansing it, and then dedicating it to a very specific purpose. It's not just common. It's not just used for any old thing. But to consecrate something is to commit it to a very specific purpose. And when it comes to Christian consecration and Christian surrender, many times, that has to do with, yes, God cleansing us, but more specifically, God committing us, dedicating us, taking us and using us for a very specific purpose. And consecration, in essence, comes before God and says, God, all that I am and all that I have are thine. 
And the greatest thing that God wants out of you and the greatest thing that God wants out of me is that complete, full, and total consecration. And yet when we think of surrender, when we think of consecration, I think many times we think of a lot of different things. And what I want to do here this morning is I just want to break this matter of total surrender down into three simple angles that I'd like to look at this in here today. You know, how is it? How do you consecrate yourself to God? Practically speaking, how do you walk in surrender all the days of your life? How do you give God all of you? What does that look like? Because I don't know about you, but in my life, I want to give God what he wants. First point that I want to make here this morning is what does it look like to be totally surrendered to God? The first point I want to make is this, to be totally surrendered to God is to be surrendered to God's words. Um, The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 21, the scripture says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. John 14, verse 23 says, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And can I submit to you folks here today, one of the greatest things that God wants out of you, one of the ways that you can manifest your surrender to him is to be surrendered to his words, to what he says. And of course, we understand that God recorded his words in the word of God. Listen, this is a Baptist church here today, and we understand that one of the main tenets of being a Baptist, of being a born-again New Testament Christian, is biblical authority. And I think all of us would recognize that when it comes to faith or practice, this book right here has the right to tell us what to do, doesn't it? When it comes to how we worship in the church, we don't look to modern trends or culture. We look to the Word of God to tell us how to worship. When it comes to how to conduct our homes, we don't look to the latest pop psychiatrist or family, uh, family cultural phenomena. We certainly don't look to sitcoms on primetime television to tell us how to raise our children. We look to the Word of God. It has a right to tell us what to believe and how to live. And the reason why is because this book right here is not just some book that a bunch of men decided to cobble together. You understand this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Listen, I understand that men put the ink on the page, but God made sure that every single word they put down was just like it came out of His own mouth. And since the words in this book are from the very mouth of God they carry the authority of God God is the creator of the universe I think you know that all that we see had its origin in the word of God God speaking this universe into existence at the beginning God said let there be light and guess what the universe which wasn't even uh, the universe obeyed there was light you think about that You think about the actual creation account is somewhat an account of the universe being submitted to the Word of God. 
God said, let this be, and boom, it was. Let this be, and boom, it was. Let this be, and boom, it was. And when God spoke his words, the universe snapped to attention, and the universe literally did things it didn't normally do because it was under the authority of the words of God Almighty. If God has the right to tell us what to do, if the universe would snap to attention when God commanded it to snap to attention, how much more should we, who have been specially and directly created by God, how much more should we, who have been bought by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, listen up attentively when God speaks? Listen, I understand that God has preserved for us his words in this book. And this book right here has the right to tell us how to live. It has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do. It has the right to say, hands off this. I want you to do this. It has the right to do it. And yet, even though God has told us his words, how many times do we disobey his words you know can I, can I just say this when I'm talking about surrendering to God's words I'm talking about will obeying what God says and as much as I think all of us would say amen that's what I want right how often do we allow culture to be our authority instead of God Almighty Got a thousand things bouncing through my head right now. How often do we let the trends and fads of the day decide what we think is acceptable? How often do we indulge or engage in things that God said, God said, were off limits? What is our guide? Cultural relativism? or the unchanging inspired word of God. And I think all of us know what it should be, and yet how much of your decisions throughout your week, how much of your uh, personal uh, steps of your daily life are decided by culture instead of by God's word? Um, <clears throat> you know God has the right to say it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Did you know God has the right to say that? And listen, I'm not trying to, you know, whatever, whatever here today. I'm not trying to meddle other than what God's word says, right? Isn't that what a preacher ought to do? A preacher ought to be able to stand up and boldly, unashamedly say, thus saith the Lord. And you know what? It's funny. God said that outside of marriage, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. And yet how often has culture said, well, you know what? You know if, as long as you're committed to them, maybe you can touch them. Or, you know, hey, as long as you promise that, you know, hey, listen, I'm not going to touch anybody else. You know, I'm just going to hold your hand. And it's so funny. We have, these, we have these little things where we've just decided, you know, hey, listen, I know God says it's not good for a man to touch a woman. But you know what? Hey, listen, holding hands isn't that big of a deal. It's not a moral, an immoral kind of touch. And yet God said... Don't touch. 
Again, I'm not trying to make a mountain out of that one issue. I'm just saying I have found in so many places, in so many churches, in so many Bible colleges and institutions, in so many youth groups and college and co- career groups, they, we have allowed the cultural norms to overwhelm and replace what God has said in this book. Are you interested in obeying God? Then you need to pay attention to what he said. Oh, we can explain all kinds of things away. Um, we, we can explain all kinds of things away in our culture here today. And I just want you to understand, I am not interested in explaining away what God said. And a heart that is surrendered to God doesn't look for a way around obeying God. Their heart is to simply obey what he said. I could give a dozen different applications here this morning, but I'm not going to, to be perfectly honest with you, because I believe the Spirit of God is going to make applications in your heart. I want you to think about it. What are those areas in your life, in your heart, where you thought, you know what, this, I'm, I'm really not sure this is biblical, what I'm doing, what I'm in, engaging in, what I'm indulging in right now. I'm not really sure God would approve. Maybe there's a verse that flashes in your mind, but maybe there's some other well-known, respected Dr. So-and-so who said, you know, well, you know, you know, it's probably fine. It's probably fine. I'm sorry, but Dr. So-and-so doesn't define what's right and wrong. God does. God does. And surrender doesn't take Dr. So-and-so's word over God's holy word. Surrender says, more than I am interested in appealing to my peers, more than I am interested in looking the part of whatever is popular these days, more than I am interested in any of those things, my heart wants to obey what God says. Do you know what God says about all of the various features of your life? You know, I think sometimes folks would prefer to be ignorant. Sometimes folks want to live in the ambiguous. And the reason why they don't know is because they don't want to know. And you know, I just want to say this, just because somebody has written a book about it, justifying saying something's okay, doesn't mean it's right. And we need to take the plain sense of Scripture for what it says and have a heart to obey it. Because the thing that God wants is God wants your surrender. And what that looks like is to be surrendered to His words. But that's not all it looks like. I want to give another point here this morning. Not only does God want you to be surrendered to his words, and there is a ton I could say about that, but I won't. But secondly, total surrender is also being surrendered to God's will. I recognize that there might be some that would say those are one and the same, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you because God's will is revealed in this book right here. Am I right? What God wants is revealed right here. And yet I think I also, I think we'd also all be on the same page that there, this book doesn't necessarily say that Bobby Bosler is supposed to close down his apartment and go on the road and travel all over the country being a youth evangelist running the war in the cola clash. I haven't found those words in this book anywhere. And there's a certain sense in which we can look at what God says, what he says, what he's recorded in the word, and know that a heart of surrender says, I want to do what God says. But there's also another sense in which sometimes you know 
what God wants. You know what I'm talking about here? You know, the, the Bible may not talk about certain games on your iPhone, right? It may give some principles that you ought to use to guide you. Uh, the Bible may not necessarily say something specific about a particular television show or movie maybe that you enjoy. You know, there could be principles that would certainly help guide you in the matter. But you know what I found many times, folks? If folks think, you know what, hey, listen, there is no principle in the Bible that makes this off limits to me, and yet deep down inside they know God doesn't want me to do it. What they do is they do it anyway. Can I say a heart of surrender is willing to listen to God's voice when God says no? Even if you don't have a Bible verse on it? Did you know that the Spirit of God can make us feel uncomfortable about things in our lives that the Bible doesn't precisely speak about? I, I was down in Clute, uh, Texas, did the war at a church down there right before COVID hit. We had an unusual circumstance. We were able to, I was actually able to spend a whole week after the event was done and go back and meet all the kids and their parents and everything. It was really cool. As we went to one of the houses, I remember, actually, I'm sorry, this was a different place in Texas, but anyway, I remember I, I knocked on a door of a young man that had come and gotten saved, and I remember as I spoke to that young man at the door, I, I gave him a little sticker, a uh, 0-100 sticker, and I just said, hey, listen, I just wanted to give this to you as a gift for me to you. This sticker here is the salvation decision that you made last week. I said, how much of you did you depend on to get to heaven? He said, he pointed to the zero, he said zero. How much did you depend on Jesus? He pointed at the 100 and said, I said, yeah, that's the salvation decision. And it was a good little teaching opportunity. I said, and by the way, the same way you trusted Jesus Christ to save you is the same way you lived the Christian life. Salvation was 0% me, 100% God, and the Christian life is 0% my strength, 100% God's strength. And I said, I want you to have this. And then I pulled out this little quadfold brochure called the Battle Plan for Victory that our ministry has put together. And I said, and I also want to give you one other thing as well as a gift for me to you. And I said to him, I said, you know, since you trusted Christ as your Savior, I'll bet something unusual started happening in your life. I'll bet you that ever since you've gotten saved, there were some things in your life you never thought twice about. Things that you did, maybe shows that you watched or music that you listened to, you never thought twice about it. But I'll bet you since you've got saved, you've been feeling kind of, um, kind of unsettled with some of those things. Would you say that was the case? He looked at me, he said, how did you know? What in the world is that? I said, that's the Holy Spirit of God. He lives inside of you. And he loves you so much, he knows what's destructive to you and your life, and he's going to do his very best to try to protect you from things that are destructive. And I told him, I said, you know what, this quadfold pamphlet, it had a bunch of categories and verse references, all topically organized. And I said, here's what I want you to do next time. There's something you're doing and you feel uncomfortable. I want you to open up this pamphlet, and I want you to look up the verses on what God says about this particular issue. And that way, it's not just this ambiguous sense. You can get to what God actually said in the Bible. And you know what? I'm so thankful. In fact, uh, that was on a, I believe it was a Tuesday, I met that young man. The following Sunday, I was at church, and uh, there was a young lady there uh, who happened to be his girlfriend, and she came up to me in the lobby before the service, and she said, you visited my boyfriend the other day. I said, what's his name? And she told me his name, and I said, oh yeah, I remember that conversation. 
She said, he wishes he could be here today, but his parents, they don't believe in God. They won't even let him come to church at all. But she said this, she said, but you know what? He's been going through that thing you gave him. And he says, he feels like he's more of a sinner now than before he got saved. Because <laughs> God was just tearing him up about all kinds of things in his life. And she said, you know what? He's also been listening to your podcast every single day. And, and she said, he is just, he's just alive inside. For one, let me just say this, that was a huge encouragement to me. I rarely get a chance to see the other side of the meeting. And in fact, um, I had three opportunities, primarily, well, for a variety of reasons, to go back and visit lots of different kids, three different weeks. And it was amazing, I would try to ask that question. You know, hey, listen, you probably, since you got saved, you found yourself uncomfortable with things you were never uncomfortable with before. Every single young person except for one said, in essence, yeah, how did you know? You know what that is? That's the Spirit of God alive in those young people. And even though in that one case, that one young man couldn't come back to church, he had the Spirit of God inside of him. And even before he was able to look at what it said, there was a sense in which God was kind of giving him a little bit of a heads up. And you know what? You have the Spirit of God inside of you too. And I'll bet you there are some of you here in this room, the Spirit of God is making you uncomfortable about some things. And maybe because you really like it, or maybe because you're really, you know, wrapped up in the plot, or maybe because, you know, it, it makes you feel happy, or this is your means of coping with the stress of life, or maybe because you like the way it makes you look, or you like the way it makes you feel, or whatever it might be. You really don't care to look up and see what God says, because you don't want to know what he says because you like what you're doing. Friends, can I ask you a question? Does that sound like a heart of surrender to you? No, it's not. See, surrender, total surrender, is being surrendered to what God says. But even if you don't know what God says, you know when God is talking to you about something. You know when God says, I don't want you doing that anymore. You know when God says, this really isn't befitting of a Christian. You know deep down inside. I really think sometimes Christians wish, fundamental Christians, I think many times they wish they were evangelicals. Because, you know, evangelicals, um, they've bought into this whole cultural um, uh, relativity thing. Uh, they've bought into this whole contextualization garbage where, you know, and listen, I understand when you go to a mission field, you are not trying to turn them into Americans. I understand that. And there's a certain sense in which missionaries going to the field really do have to grapple through what part of this person's culture is sinful and what part of this person's culture is just, you know, whatever. I grapple with that when I go down south. What part of this is sinful? What part of this is southern? I'm messing, sort of. Um, <laughs> and you know, there is a certain sense in which, you know, when you're going to a culture that is foreign to you, you do need to figure that out. And you, it's going to sound like a Peruvian church. You know, it's going to sound like a Cambodian church. It's going to sound like an African church. And there's a certain sense in which that's okay. But you know what some have done? They've taken that same concept. They brought it back to America and they've said, you know what? What is an American church supposed to look like? And you know how they determine what it's supposed to look like? They look at the world. 
They look at the fads of the day. They look at the top 20 charts or whatever the number is. I don't even know because I don't look at them. Isn't it obvious? <laughs> they look at the magazine fashion trends and they say, you know what? Hey, listen, I want to be contextualized to my American culture and evangelicals have done their very best for the last 10, 20, 30 years to contextualize their churches to look like the world. As far as I've read in my Bible, that is not how it's supposed to work. As far as I've read in my Bible, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that surrender is not interested in adapting to the sinful culture and practices of a world that's dying and going to hell. Surrender is more interested in seeking and finding the holy will of God and doing it. The Bible doesn't talk about every trend and fad. The Bible doesn't talk about how loose or skinny your pants ought to be. The Bible doesn't talk necessarily, it doesn't always tell you exactly how long a skirt ought to be. It does say that the thigh is nakedness. That is something that it says in the Bible. And I personally think that whatever you do and however you dress, you ought to make sure that you cover up your nakedness according to how God's word describes it. Again, I'm not trying to get overly controversial here. I'm just trying to take a look at what the Bible says. Please don't misunderstand me. This is probably not my place to even say any of this stuff. But I'm just trying to look at what the Bible says. And you know, when it comes to some of the finer points of how exactly we draw our lines, sometimes what folks do is they do their very best to push the envelope and go as far to the left as they possibly can. But can I say this, friends? That is not surrender. Surrender says, I want to do what God says. And you know what? Where God doesn't fill in the details... I'm going to seek his will anyway, and I'm going to do what he says. Because I don't just want to do God's words, I want to obey God's will. I've obviously been talking about things like standards and stuff like that, and that's not all there is to the Christian life. I think you know that. But God's will isn't just about stuff that you shouldn't do, <laughs> right? God's will is about what he wants you to do. And unfortunately, I think many of our conservative independent Baptists have focused so much on what we shouldn't be doing, they haven't focused on what we ought to be doing. Did you know we ought to be loving our brethren? You say, why don't you do that as you're preaching this morning? The truth. Speak the truth in love, okay? <clears throat> you know, we ought to be loving the brethren. You know, we ought to be reaching the world with the gospel. We ought to be personally obeying the Great Commission and evangelizing people. We ought to be edifying the body of Christ, not just through encouraging one another, but through building the size. You listen, Jesus said, upon, uh, said he will build his church. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. Jesus said he would build his church, but you know what? He expects us to be the grunts that run around and do what he tells us to do in the building process. He's the master contractor. He's the guy designing the plan. He's the guy buying the supplies. But you know what? He expects us to be involved in the labor. 
and surrender says, you know what? God wants me to be a part of building his church. I'm all in. I'm all in. Listen, the will of God. Listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say you ought to come on Saturday and clean the church. Right? And yet, you know, being a part of a body is not just sitting around waiting for you to be told what to do. It's being actively engaged in seeking the needs. That's a part of edification, is seeking where there are folks who need to be encouraged and taking the step to encourage them, seeking where there are spiritual needs and taking the step to try to engage and help folks in those spiritual needs. Listen, part of being surrendered to God is to be surrendered to His will. See, as I said earlier, consecration is dedicating oneself to a specific purpose, not set by you, but set by God. And when we're not even interested in what God's purpose is, how in the world are we going to dedicate ourselves to it? We've got to seek God's will, seek God's plan, seek the opportunities. It isn't just doing what God says he wants. It's doing what you know he wants. There is a slight difference. There's plenty of overlap. But there is a slight difference. It's like this. There are some times when you know you'd be disobedient if you didn't do X, Y, or Z. You just know. You just know. Some of you men are failures in your family altar, and you know that's some area where God wants you to grow in. You know that's an area where God wants you to dig into your family and communicate the word of God and pray with your family, but you feel like every time you turn around, you know you're too busy, this, that, or the other thing. Can I say this? You know what God wants. And surrender says, I'm not going to wait till it's a convenient time. I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to get it done. Listen, personal devotions is the will of God for every single believer to spend time with Jesus on a daily basis. That's not just some social construct that we've created within independent Baptist churches. That is New Testament Christianity, friends. Spending time with Jesus is the will of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, Thou shalt upon 5 a.m. every morning get down upon thy knees and pray for five minutes and read your Bible for 15. Nowhere does it say that. But we know God wants us to spend time with him. We know God wants us to soak in his presence. We know God wants us to seek his face and his will and his plan. You know Nowhere in the Bible does it say how long you ought to spend. But listen, you know when you're just doing a token time with the Lord. You know. You know. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you ought to go out once a week in evangelistic, in evangelistic work. But listen, friends, if your church is doing it, don't you think you ought to be a part of it? Total surrender is surrendering to God's words. It's not letting culture Define what I'm going to do or not going to do, not even Christian culture, but it's letting what God says define how my life is to operate. It's not just surrendering to God's words, it's surrendering to God's will where the Bible doesn't specifically fill in the cracks and yet you know. Surrender says, I want to do whatever God wants me to do. Whether I have a chapter or verse on it or not, I'm going to obey God. But thirdly and finally, Total surrender is also surrender to God's wants. To God's wants. Men, you know the difference between um, 
those of you that are married, you know that, that there's a difference between doing what your wife asks you to do and doing what you know she wants you to do? You know the difference between that, right? There might be some things that politely she asks you to do or not to do, right? And if you've been married for any length of time, you know that that is just the tip of the iceberg of what she really wants. You know what I'm saying? You know, the wife might ask you to fix this one thing and because she doesn't want to overburden you or get you frustrated, but she's really got a laundry list a mile long of other things that she wants you to do, right? But you also know that there, there are things that she asks you to do. She says it. There are things that you just know that she wants you to do. And then there are things that she'd really, really, really love for you to do. The things that she would never in a million years dream of asking you to do but you know if you do those things, you would literally make her day, make her week, maybe even make her year. Know what I'm talking about? And us husbands are typically pretty ignorant about what those things are. We'd be a lot better husbands, right? If we listened, maybe we would figure that out. If we observed, right? Maybe we would figure that out. Can I say this? I personally believe that God has told us what he wants, and he makes it clear to us what he wants, I think there's another level of surrender too that so intimately knows the heart of God that is so in tune with his desires it's not just a matter of you know God in our hearts kind of trying to force us into his will there gets a point where you just are looking for opportunities to please God where you're just excited about opportunities of doing anything and everything that would Please the heart of God. See, a good husband is going to know some days that, you know what? My wife could really use some encouragement. She could really use some flowers today. And while she probably never asked you for flowers, while she probably never feel like you ought to bring her flowers, you know that would just tickle her fancy. You just know that that would just make her day. I say this, there are some areas, listen, if we're just fighting with the will of God, I don't really think we're ever going to get to that point. If we're, if we're, if it, if it's all God can do just to get us to kind of cooperate and just kind of get with the program and, you know, we're kind of dragging our feet and okay, fine, he wants me to do this, so I'll go and do it even though I've got other things I'd rather be doing. You're never going to get to the point where you're so in tune with the heart of God that you know what he would want, like you just know what would, again, I, I want to be reverent in how I say this, but you know what would tickle his heart. You know what would put a gigantic beaming smile on the face of God. I believe that believing God for impossible things puts a huge grin on the face of God. I think big prayers can put a smile in the heart of God. I believe that attempting great things for God that maybe aren't even that, to be honest with you, likely of happening, I think that puts a huge smile on the face of God. I think it thrills his heart when he sees his children so convinced that he's able, of doing, able to do something so impossible that people look at that believer like he's a little kooky. I think it thrills the heart of God. There's one young man that I can think of, actually, that really demonstrates that to me. 
Um, he, you all met him two years ago, 2019, Will Esienko. Um, <clears throat> Will has a unique personality. I love him, man. I love him. There were so many times that summer when we would be in a prayer meeting, and Will, in his unique way, would just say, Lord, I just ask that you'd, you'd save 14 people tonight. And there would be some times when I'd be like, oh, yeah, I can see that. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You, I, I just think it, would, I think it would please you, God, to save 14 people tonight. I remember one time in Hopkinsville, just a couple weeks before we were here that summer, he asked that exact thing. Lord, I pray for 14 people to get saved tonight. By the time the night was done, I think 15, 16 people got saved. Well, the next morning in our prayer meeting, Will said, now, God, you did it last night. I just pray that you, I think it would please you to save even more people tonight than you saved last night. And I'm thinking, bro, that's not how this works. Just to be honest with you. I'm thinking, bro, I, you know how it is, you know, sometimes when somebody asks something that's a little bit, like, extreme, you're like, oh, I don't know if that's really God. Maybe, maybe you're just looking for the glory for praying for it or something like that. But you know what? That night, by the time the night was done, more people got saved that night than had gotten saved the night before. You know, later on that fall, I was back at home in Wisconsin, and I was uh, teaching a class on personal evangelism. It was kind of a uh, thrown out of the nest kind of a thing. Normally, I co-teach it with another professor, another pastor, but this guy had to go take care of his father, and so I was kind of left to teach the whole class by myself, and I'm kind of like, yeah, you know? I mean, I'm, I love the gospel. I love to communicate the gospel. I love to train people how to do the gospel, but you know, this is the first time I did this all by myself. And so I'm training the young people, and we had some times of prayer, and um, Will texted me, and he said, just so you know, I'm praying for, I think it was uh, 30 people to get saved today. I'm thinking, that's a little much, but we went out that day. I've never seen so many divine appointments among all of those young people. By the time we got back, we had more than he had prayed for. Well, the next day, he told me, he texted me. He said, just so you know, we're praying for over 80 people to get saved over these three days. And I'm thinking, okay, that's just a little much, Will, is what I'm thinking. I didn't say it. I'm thinking, that's a little much. I think it was 85 people ended up getting saved over three days of personal evangelism. You know what? I'm not sure I would have asked for that. But Will was so surrendered to God's wants that he was willing to not only pray those things, but even look a little foolish in telling me that he was praying for those things. Because he was, I believe, in tune with the heart of God. He so knew what God wanted. He was willing to step out and look a little dumb in order to do it. Can I say this? Surrendering to God want, God's wants, sometimes this involves real foresight. Looking ahead. Sometimes it involves real initiative. In other words, not just waiting for God to kick you out soul winning, or not just waiting for God to kick you in the pants in a prayer meeting, or not just waiting for God to so grip you with something. Sometimes it involves looking ahead, a, a, a little bit of dreaming, a little bit of initiative, a little bit of of planning a, a whole lot of execution. Sometimes it involves work. But I think at the core of it all, it really involves truly understanding the heart of God. What does God want out of us, friends? 
He wants us to be surrendered to his words. This is our authority. This is not optional. It is our job to obey what he says. But where it doesn't speak to a particular decision, God expects us to surrender to his will as you best understand it. And not just taking the excuse, well, I don't get it, so I'm going to do what I wanted to do anyway. But seeking God for his will and being absolutely committed to doing whatever he says. But it also involves being surrendered to God's wants. What would really please the heart of God? What would blow God away? And I recognize that might sound a little irreverent. I just understand my analogy here. What would put a big smile on the face of God? You know, as a servant, which is what we all are, what we all ought to be, our exclusive reason for existing is to please our master. It's to accomplish his work. Jesus said, my need is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was not on earth to get his own thing done. And yet he was. Because his will was synonymous with his father's. And I really think that our lives would be far more fulfilling. I think God would be far more pleased if our wills became synonymous with God's through his words, his will, and his wants. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray, God, that you would just take these thoughts, and I pray that you would burn them into our hearts. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I want to be totally surrendered to you. I want to obey what you said. I don't want to make excuses. I want to do what you want me to do for my life every day. I don't do it perfectly every day, but I want to. And Lord, the desire of my heart is I really do want you to be pleased with how my life, with how my life happens and the decisions that I make. Lord, I pray for these dear people here. I can tell as I'm preaching, many of them, this is the desire of their heart as well. Lord, would you lead us to greater steps of surrender? Would you lead us to a greater understanding of your heart and greater intimacy with you that fleshes itself out? surrendered obedience to the will of God. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.